Hello and welcome to a wonderful Hollywood Chop Shop wrap-up show. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today, I we called it the the Double Cross trilogy. It's not. Um, <laughs> I don't know what we should rename this for us to, to publish it. I have maybe we'll still call it the Double Cross. Who knows? But uh, it entailed. Hey Brett, real quick, I could we call it the break into prison theme because that uh happens in tango and cash and italian job but i don't think it happens in no sudden move he only gets out of prison yeah that's true that's true prison's involved how about that yeah uh staying out of prison trilogy (laughs) prison adjacent trilogy yeah i don't know um but yes it is uh it entails no, 2021's No Sudden Move, 1989's Tango and Cash, and then we concluded it with 1969's The Italian Job. So there was, well, there's 20 years between Italian Job and Tango and Cash, and then what, 30 years? Almost 30 years between Tango and Cash and No Sudden Move. So there's quite a time jump between our three movies it was done on intentionally and um boy that's probably what we're going to jump into first what do you think yeah i think uh i mean as i stated in the uh italian job review i hate old movies so anytime something that was made in the 60s or 70s or god forbid if brett ever decides to do the 50s that was brett's call but uh, I think it's important to do that because, man, uh, otherwise, I, I don't think I would notice just the the change in strategy it in gives making you movies. Yeah, yeah. Like the intent of making a movie in 1969 is much different than the intent of making a movie in 2021, even though – you would say it's just an artistic medium, but I think the way that you convey that art, uh, if you if you span a range of movies like we have in this review trilogy, it, it really it, it becomes glaring. So I appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Uh, I guess all of the movies had to do with crime. Um, yeah, again, I, I think I'm still stuck on trying to define the, the three movies. Try, we, try to tie the three together. Try, try yeah. What we were trying to do with the three of them. I, I, well, is, you know what? I, let me, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't hmm? mean to cut you off, but I think it, it speaks to how much marketing plays into movies because Tango and Cash was kind of marketed as two cops being set up and, and double-crossed when really that was just in the first 20 minutes of the movie to set up the rest of the movie. Um, Italian Job, I think we were thinking marketing from the 2003 version. There was no way that they would completely make a different kind of movie. Like spiritually, you would think the Italian Job from 69 and 2003 were similar, even though we kind of found that they weren't. It's even funny you bring up that because apparently the story goes that Michael Caine came over to do like – press work for the italian job when they were bringing it over to the u.s and he saw the poster that the american marketing had done for the movie and got so upset by it legend has it he just got on this plane and went back to london like he was so and um essentially i don't know if you have a chance to look at it but um it is a mafioso man with a machine gun sitting back in a chair and then in front of him is a a topless woman you can only see her back but it has like a map of Terran which is the city it takes place in like just are like basically superimposed over her bare back and that was the poster for the Italian job whereas if you look at the poster that was you know I think most people know again it looks like fucking Steve McQueen um, where it's him in the turtleneck with the yes. three Mini Coopers underneath it. So, yeah, the, the original American marketing, even for the Italian job, was very interesting because it was very much, it was not as tongue-in-cheek and kind of, as they say, quintessential Britishness as the, the movie actually was. Well, I wanted to bring this up. Um, it's the wrap-up show. We can be a little bit looser, but uh, in the Italian job review, I, I brought up Jaws as kind of being the the line of delineation between 
what I would consider modern cinema and then I guess the dated antiquated cinema that I thought 69's Italian job was. It's mm-hmm. funny though, because in so Jaws 1973 is based on a Peter Benchley novel. Uh, I'm assuming you know that or mm-hmm. audience. Uh, I'm assuming you know that, but in that novel, there is a heavy subplot about the Northeastern New Jersey, New Jersey adjacent mob being involved in the town of Amity where the, the shark attack you know, occurs, which Steven Spielberg and the creative team behind that movie, they were wise to decide, hey, let's excise that mafia plot. It's not really needed. Like the the mayor of the town was influenced by the mob, and that's why they had to keep the beach open to keep the money coming in. But it's just interesting to think the Italian mafia, what kind of boogeyman they were in the late 60s, early 70s that – they seem to be omnipresent, at least in these two titles, uh, Jaws and the Italian Job, when they don't necessarily really need to be narratively. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. So it's, just, it, it's just weird to think about what the zeitgeist was in the late 60s, that the Italian mafia would be this big boogeyman that you have to put into movies when they don't necessarily need to be there. So funny enough is you bringing up writers – Did you know that the 1969 Italian Job and the 19 or sorry the 2003 were actually written by the same person? The same person did the screenplay for both of them. No, that's so unique to me. I wonder if it was the 2003 was his attempt to make what he wanted to. Like I don't was it supposed to be a goofy movie or like that's a that's a super interesting little tidbit. Yeah, no he. It was uh, Troy Kennedy Martin. He wrote The Italian Job in 1969, and then he's credited for writing the screenplay for the 2003 and for the um, video game. Interesting. And it wasn't even a uh, story inspired by or like an original writing credit. Like he legitimately was involved in both projects. That's I mean – I'm looking at it right now and what he's known for. It's weird, though, because it says 2003. Because I can see that being a story 1969 screenplay. It might be just that. But under here, it says writer. I have no idea. Well, I guess the easiest thing would be to go to the 2003 page. Okay. No, two other people are are also credited for the 2003. So it looks like they just. But again, if he wrote the screenplay, it's nothing like the original. So what the fuck are they saying he is being credited for? I think it's just the the initial idea. I I would assume that that is just a legality covering their bases kind of thing. Could be. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. I'm like, did he really? I'm like, that was we said so far apart from one another for him to have been included on that but yeah interesting um yeah i guess and all three of these movies are so different in kind of how they approached it because i mean it went from i would say the most serious to the least serious um no sudden move Basically, it definitely took itself the most seriously and, you know, put itself together. Tango and Cash, I think, wanted to think it took itself seriously, and that's what makes it so much more humorous is how batshit crazy that movie was, knowing probably how involved Sylvester Stallone was in trying to make that, like, a legitimate movie. And then the Italian job is just so aloof. Like, it's just... It's like it... And it goes back to your becoming about the marketing for is like it wants to be a crime movie but it's too busy kind of like it's not making fun of crime movies or being a spoof on crime movies it's just kind of doing its own thing you know it's just like it just so happens there's a crime movie somewhere in there and i don't even know if i would call it a crime movie like again because the mafia is brought in but they're not stealing from the mafia they're just like they're these charismatic criminals that like are at least michael kane was i don't know like it's it's very strange I don't know, trying to to, to pit well, the three against one another. My thought across the three, because as, as misguided as we may have been 
to try to make this the double cross trilogy. I think it's interesting because and I'll give all credit to you. You're the one that decided let's throw in a, a 60s film. Let's try to do some Stallone 80s and then let's do a more modern release. So I give you all the credit for that. And as random as it seemed at the time, it's interesting to think about the double cross as portrayed uh, across decades. So let's start with the Italian job. We thought there was going to be a double cross in 69. There's not really a double cross at all. It's just a a guy getting out of prison and picking up a job that his friend had. He died in the process of doing that job. Whatever. It's almost too simple. It's like you're expecting too much. From that from that decade going into it, you know, maybe yeah, we should like have started there. Yeah, you can just make a simplistic plot like this is just, hey, you've got the plans to a job that somebody you knew had and now you can pick it up. There's no revenge necessary. It, There's no double cross necessary. It Go was ahead. a it was the popcorn movie before that was a term defined. Like, it's not stupid like the Fast Beautiful. and the Furious, yeah. but it is just, it was like, you go there and you be entertained. Like, you're not looking to pick it apart like what you would expect from a, if you said something was a crime movie today, you're like, oh no, this is going to be like, you know, you're going to, a little intense, you know, like you're going to want to pay attention. Okay, so I love that you said that. So let's, let's. Fast forward to 89 and Tango and Cash, the double cross motif. It, it gets a little lip service in Tango and Cash because that's how two quote unquote top cops, LA's top cops can get behind bars is because they get double crossed. But the double cross really only lasts long enough to get them in prison, right? And, and then you can have the escape and then the movie takes off. And sometimes you even forget that they're on the run from the law because the double cross does not matter. Well, especially because that, that decade is interesting because like there was so much just testosterone like infused into all of those movies. Like the double cross is typically something you think of as kind of an intellectual thing. Like somebody has to outsmart somebody else. And even in Tango and Cash – we joked about the Sylvester Stallone being the smart guy just meant that he had money and <laughs> stocks. He, he wears, he wears yeah, he glasses. glasses. That's what's, that was intelligence back then. So it's like the double cross of like the, you know, then tango and cash. It's like, it's so superficial. It's just a matter of like, they were framed for murder and now they're breaking out of prison, you know? Right. And once they break out of prison, the fact that they were double crossed, like, it's completely dropped. You don't even know who double crossed him technically. It's Jack Palance as a French villain, but you don't really know the machinations of how he accomplished that. Because it doesn't matter. And, right? and now that them clearing them their name is blowing up the villain in a quarry. Like they clear their name <laughs> by destroying all of the evidence that would have cleared their name. <laughs> but that's so, how the movie ends. <laughs> and then okay, let's fast forward to twenty twenty one, no sudden move. Which again, we we put this trilogy together thinking it would be a double cross. It's only a double cross. It it it's a more believable double cross. Like they put effort into explaining plot wise why not only is Don Cheadle double crossed, but almost every character at some level gets double crossed. But mm. at the end of the day, that's not really what the movie is trying to say. Like, like we discussed on the review of No Sudden Move, it's not really a double-cross movie. It's more of a, you know, you can get into if, if it's a capitalism movie, if it's just business in America, if it's just the status quo doesn't change. But it's interesting to me, ultimately, that the double-cross, even in 2021, is still just the, the setup to a movie. Uh, you can kind of trace the, they keep the through line of the double cross longer as as cinema progresses and we're in the 2021 movie but ultimately the double cross never matters mm-hmm. well and it's funny you bring that to bring that back to 1969 the alternate tagline in actually the ending song to the 1969 italian job was the self-preservation society which again kind of goes it lends itself very much to no sudden move everyone's a crook because everyone's just looking out for themselves, you know? And again, I guess that goes back to the Italian job where back then all you have to do is say the self-preservation society where it's like, where our expectation was you were going to see a lot of those characters double cross each other because they were just looking out for themselves because this was a movie about, you know, 
crooks and stuff like that. Um, and ironically, no, no, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Like, it's just, it's, it's funny that those two, that's kind of where they kind of line up with one another. It's like, it's, it's a movie about crooks and that's kind of, if you want to, you know, dilute not dilute but basically uh you know distill down what it is to be a crook it really is just l only looking out for yourself and it and therefore you're that that makes you a crook you know yeah and i think the only movie that that doesn't necessarily fit into in the trilogy is tanko and cash but that like you said it it lends itself to the fact that this was the late 80s we had already done you know, multiple Rambos. Arnold had already released a bunch of testosterone action movies. It's like we cannot continue to release the same thing. Let's try to throw in an extra layer of of Double Cross. And really, I guess Double Cross is just kind of the the salt or pepper seasoning on the meal. And, and that's what Hollywood, or I guess even a talent job is not technically Hollywood, but just cinema in general is – Hey, we'll throw in a flavor of a double cross and that'll get people, you know, that'll make for a good trailer. That'll get people in the seats, even though the double cross is really irrelevant to the actual story in all three cases. Yeah, I mean, it's almost these three movies are less about double cross and more about just kind of uh, I don't want to use the word unconventional because I feel like I throw that out a lot. But like an unconventional partner, like it's like the odd couple, like even the Italian job the group that you know charlie puts together are not the group you were thinking they're not top-notch criminals like they're a bunch of weirdos against just self-preservation tango and cash are two was it hot dog and diva showboat and sons of bitches where again it's it's all about themselves and you know even as they have to try and and find what makes them similar which is everything um in order to to clear their names it's only in their in their own best interest to clear their name they're not doing it for each other and then you have no sudden move which winds up being the only movie that actually has any real you could say double cross in it but it all comes down to again these people have been put their 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 teammates that are on a team or you know a, a group a crew solely to kind of take care of themselves and then they have to deal with the ramifications of that yeah, and I, I guess to kind of close out at least my side of the Double Cross theme is the only movie really that has any sort of true Double Cross, like you said, is no sudden move. And I almost think that the Double Cross is more to do with Matt Damon's character basically being a part of whatever you want to call it, the machine, the 1%. You know, the established society, the double cross is you're going to compete with all these other crooks and double cross each other. But ultimately, the pyramid leads to the top, which is Matt Damon, which is everything that you do down here ultimately does not matter to me. So the double cross is you will trample and kill yourselves and hurt yourselves and betray each other all so that the money can end up ultimately with me. So that's. That movie, uh, No Sudden Move, is the only one that truly feels like a double cross. In man, does it feel like a read between the lines, a little bit more meta of a double cross? Where there's the other two, that's just easy marketing to say it's double cross, even though it's not there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's almost interesting because Matt Damon's character in No Sudden Move would have been a more compelling villain... I think we said that was one of the things that I think the Italian job and honestly Tango and Cash both suffered. Like Tango and Cash's villain is fun to watch because he's batshit crazy, but his motives make no fucking sense in that movie. Um, and it's almost the same thing with the Italian job where it's like you have this mafia and apparently their only motivation is to not be embarrassed, but embarrassed to who? Like who knows? Like they're not the police, so like they're upset that they stole the gold from the armored convoy, which has nothing to do with the mafia, but... You know, the, the only true kind of like what you would assume to be kind of a, a double cross villain, like, you know, somebody who's going to outsmart your your protagonist was Matt Damon. And even then, again, is he the villain in No Sudden Move or is he just is the villain the actual, you know, the system in which they they live in? Because as they, Matt Damon yeah, famously said, Matt Damon. yeah, so I, I didn't make the river, you know, I just paddle in yeah. it. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, yeah, I think that and I think ultimately that I guess is my largest point is a movie from 1969, a movie from 1989. They're not as confident to put a message in there because the message in 69 was look what we can do with Mini Coopers. The message in 89 was, hey, we can get two action stars in Stallone and Kurt Russell and make a buddy cop action movie. And then in 2021, it's a Steven Soderbergh. He's got a little more intent behind what he's making besides just a commercial element. Well, it's funny. Each, each you know, 20 to 30 years, the stakes are higher for the studios. Like, you know, with the Italian job, you can probably put something loose out there, like that cocktail napkin idea, because there's not that much to go up against it. Like, you have to think of the people that know how to use that technology, who has the funding to put that. Like, you know, the Italian job was only $3 million, and yes, that's a lot more, a lot of money in, in 1969, but still, it was $3 million to make that entire movie, and it's a cult classic in, like, in Britain, you know, and even then it's a cult classic probably everywhere at this point to the point where they wanted to remake it in 2003. Um, you know, in, in 89, you know, you had these action stars. And again, as you said, like you're, you're trying to do something different because you've already completely oversaturated the market with that kind of shit. Um, so you try and make this weird buddy cop with these two. And then you get to 2021 where it's like, you actually have to put together pretty solid movie because there's so much out there especially with all the streaming stuff like you're you're competing with a lot of other stuff so you you actually have to have something very well thought out and you have to have a message again the, the stakes are just so much higher in a crime movie yeah i never really thought about it until what you just said right there but you are competing with tv in 69 you know you know, like you said in the review for Italian Job, Benny Hill, Benny Hill was a big celebrity in in England and Britain, but you could get away with just saying, "Hey, we're going to put Benny Hill in this movie," and that's enough to sell tickets. Whereas you go all the way to 2021, if you're doing a double cross crime movie, you're not only competing with the movies of the last 15 to 20 years, but you're competing with Netflix original content, uh, Amazon. Prime original content, HBO Max original content. So Disney Plus you original can't, you content. Can't be, yeah, you can't be careless in any respect of the script, which I think is the biggest change between 69, 89, 2021. It's like the level of competition increases between those two. In 69 in Britain, I, I mean, I don't know what you were competing with, BBC television maybe – 89 you're competing against miami vice early network television by 2021 it's the wild wild west of content so it makes sense why things yeah (laughs) progressed uh, along the decades um so just to talk performances and stuff like that i mean of the of the movies you know we can get into to side characters or whatever you want i mean I, I said it before, I think Don Cheadle's performance in No Sudden Move was by far my favorite. And I don't, I just, period. I, I you know, to throw another movie in here, I watched, um, was it Space Jam, A New Legacy this last Ooh. week? Dog Ooh. shit movie. I mean, just fucking doesn't hold up the spirit of the original, just fucking cash grab dog shit. Um, but Don Cheadle was in that, and I'm like... It was so hard watching him because I'm like, I had just watched him in No Sudden Move and just was so compelled, so compelled by his character of, of Kurt Goins. Um, yeah. I just love, I'm like, I would have loved, you want to talk about HBO and, and shit like that. I would have loved more of a series on on Kurt. I, I loved his character. I would have loved, again, to just to have seen more either, if you want to go back to see what he'd done to get into prison or if you wanted to go forward to see what he does now that he has his land in Kansas, um, Kansas City. Um, I just, I, I did. I, I, I thought that was a really compelling character. Um, Benicio del Toro, I, I love him and pretty much everything he does. Um, he played Benicio del Toro as far as I was concerned, but that never gets old. The, the performances in Tango and Cash, you know, just, I mean, so crazy over the top. But I mean, you know, I had Kurt Russell's um, depiction of, uh, what is it? Um, Gabe Cash, which is, it's amusing. And then back to the Italian job, you know, Michael Caine, I think, uh, 
I said before, I, I think they were trying to make him into a, a, you know, the the British version of Steve McQueen. And I don't know how successful that that was just because you spent so little time actually developing his character aside from you know the the cheekiness of him you know basically screwing anything that moved and then him being able to put together this crew and you know he was so sharply dressed so therefore you know he's he must be just a cool guy you know well this i'm, I'm gonna jump ahead on this segment but i think you set me up perfectly to talk about performances this was a very difficult uh, trilogy of movies to think about where you were going to move because we do a character swap for those who don't – or maybe this is your first episode. But we on these trilogy wrap-up shows, we'll try to take a character from one of the films in the trilogy and see how that character would do in another movie of the trilogy. And I wasn't going to bring it up this early, but your, your conversation really took me to it. So – uh, I'm going to go first because I, I, I've got this preamble here. But do you have a character swap ready? No, you you go you go right ahead, sir. Oh, so you're not prepared for the podcast? You don't have one ready, or you would just want me to go first? I would like you to go first. Okay, there you go. I like <laughs> to hear that. I like to, I like to hear the the preparation. So, um, so I hope I didn't steal yours because I I tried. I racked my brain for a little bit on who you could transport between these movies and one answer jumped out to me. Um, I don't remember the character's name. I didn't take the trouble to look him up as far as character name goes. I know it was French, but I'm going to take Jack Palance as a villain from Tango and Cash. Okay. Where are you going to put him? I'm going to put him in the Italian job. God, <laughs> Did I steal it from you? Yeah. No, okay. Keep going. I, I want to see. I'll see if I can come up with so another maybe one. We can, yeah. We maybe no, maybe we can compare notes. If I missed a scene that he would fit perfectly in, you can you can correct me. But again, it's not a natural fit. I don't think you could find a natural fit between these movies. Because uh, believe me, I thought about trying to put Sylvester Stallone in either of these other two movies. I couldn't do it. But so Jack Palance, he's. I'm just going to jump into it. The scene where the Italian mafioso is intimidating Michael Caine's crew, like, hey, we're going to throw your Aston Martin down the cliff comically slow with my little Tonka truck. Mm -hmm. You, In the background of that shot, you have a limo that the Italian mafia has has been in the back of as they drove up to the mountainside to experience this, you know, the, the, the Tonka truck bulldozer, it was on a trailer, but trailing that trailer was a limousine with Jack Palance in it. So he gets out. And while this Italian mafioso villain is talking about, Hey, I guess you want to reconsider what you're doing here. As I, you know, slowly throw your cars down the countryside, you also have Jack Palance inexplicably for no reason at all he's just got a couple of rats he's just <laughs> he's just stroking his rats just randomly interjecting whenever the the italian mafioso will take a breath between like hey i'm gonna push your cars on the mountainside jack palance is doing that breathless like michael Kane <laughs> and the rest of your british crew that i don't know just imagine you're these rats. And Michael Caine's crew is like, what what are you doing with these rats in the Italian countryside? Like what what what's going on? Don't worry about it. I'm from the future. I've killed Tango and Cash. <laughs> and then you just have the two I, most I love that you I love that in addition to adding the character, you've you've added time travel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Why not? I, I did it for Conrad, old man Conrad, whatever. Yeah, so you just have the two most ineffective villains of all time standing on an Italian countryside. You have one villain orchestrating, hey, take this little bulldozer and slowly, emphasis on slowly, push this car over the edge. Well, we have another villain in Jack Palance just setting up his little rat maze. Again, in the middle of the highway, 
on the mountain, Italian countryside, and they're both just going through their stupid villain machinations. Like, I'm just going to put you in this maze. and Oh, you don't really want to mess with the mafia now that I've pushed your car down a hill. That's my chop shop, just or, or my uh, character swap. Oh, I just, actually like where you're going with the maze because I didn't even think about that. The maze with the town with the gridlock. If he if he had been able to orchestrate, he was the one who ooh, provided. Ooh. He provided the data to Roger, um, and so like it actually creates a maze that they have to get through with the traffic jams through Terran. I would like to say that I had that thought, but Brett, you've you've come through in the clutch, and yes, that just adds to what this movie, this this Frankenstein character swap could be. Because yes, both villains are terrible, but if you somehow put them together in the same plot, it almost improves things. So I was gonna take. I think his name is y- Yves Parrot. Y- Yves. I don't know how that you. Sounds- yeah, I don't know pronunciation forgiven. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, so I was I was gonna make a period. I was gonna make him a time traveler. But my thought process is we have Ital- the Italianos. All right, we have the Brits. At some point, an American is thrown in there just for the fucking hell of it. Um, on both sides, there's a white dude with the mafia. I don't know what his what he was supposed to be there. And then you've got uh, Big William driving the bus. I was like, why don't oh, we? Big William. Why don't we go ahead and throw another nationality into this? We take him, and uh, the drivers of the of the three Mini Coopers were French race car drivers. So I'm thinking this is where we bring in Jack Palance as the Frenchman, right? Okay. And his whole thing is he actually wants the gold to get stolen because it's going to embarrass the Chinese, and they're not going to be able to pay for their place to work with the with the Fiat factory, and that's going to allow him. With uh, in France, he's gonna own a like a a, a car plant in France. Uh, what is it? What's a good fugue or what's a good French car? Peugeot. A Peugeot. All right. So maybe he has a Peugeot factory, and he wants to do some wheeling and dealing with the Fiat. You know. Um, so he he actually provides the the drivers, but maybe also a little bit of him. You know, we're looking for that double cross. I'm thinking that Camp Freddy winds up kind of playing both sides. Where he's working for Mr. Bridger, the English, but he's also working for Jack Palance with the French, and he's the one who actually provided the uh, the drivers to Charlie. All right, but Charlie is also suspicious because they're not British drivers, and this is supposed to be a British, you know, um, uh, what is it, heist, right? So he has. That's where we right. would change it a little bit, you know. The French drivers would take the Mini Coopers, but they would wind up somehow fucking up, and then you would have the Jaguars come in with the uh, the rest of the British troops, you know, to take the gold. But that's that was I thought it would be he would be an interesting villain to put. You now have these three superpowers: you have the Italian mafia, you have the French crazy rat man, um, who maybe again provided. Now we're we're gonna say he provides the data that creates the rat maze and Terran. And then you have Mr. Mr. Bridger, you know, your, your English aristocrat, you could say, or I don't know if you'd call him aristocrat, or, you know, but Richie rich who are all invested in this. And then, you know, who winds up with the money at the end, the gold. I enjoy that. You call them aristocrats mm-hmm. and not aristocrats because yeah, it's, it's the Disney feline film. Yep. Well, yeah, that's why they call it the Aristocats, because the play on words is already there. Fair enough. Yeah, continue, Everybody sorry. wants to be a cat, Travis, all right? Because a cat's the only cat that knows where it's at. Um, <laughs> is this where we end yeah, the podcast? I'm just, just going to let you twist out. I'm just going <laughs> to let you twist out in the wind on that. Go ahead. Uh, um, but yeah, that was going to be my character swap, as I was also going... Uh, yeah, to the point we made earlier, I, I think... The Italian job needed a better villain or just, I guess. Yeah, we'll say better. I mean, the Italian guy, I did yeah, think it was funny. You know the Italian funny? job. What? Oh, I think we both were going to tell each other what was funny. So you go ahead first. And I was I'll, just going to say, I assume it was Camp Freddy who was in Terran, who was also doing research, but he's just like, he's talking very loudly through the town squares about their plan to rob the place. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> there's a mafia guy. He's in the back. I'm like, no fucking shit. Like, 
surely he's not whispering that into the microphone as he's got the camera out, which cameras have to be expensive in 1969. So it's like, there's a dude with a camera and a wireless microphone who's out there talking about, like, this is the church we're going to post up in when we steal the gold from the armed <laughs> convoy. Like, excuse me, sir, what did you say? No oblo italiano. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? I also like yeah, that it was, was the mafia ringleader who was in the back of all the shots, not not just one of the dudes in the suit in the suits with the um, what is it the the fedoras. It's the actual head of the mafia is the one doing all the research. Oh yeah, I mean if you want something done right, Brad, you do it yourself. It all right, doesn't Thanos. matter if you're you know the head <laughs> of the mob or yeah trying to snap out half the universe. Um, but yeah, the last thing on the the character swap is I just. The reason I wanted Jack Palance's French villain from Tango and Cash to be in the Italian job is because, like, I could see the tagline now. It's basically double the useless villain because, <laughs> like, useless is how I would describe both villains. So let's go ahead and get both weird villains in the same movie, especially if we can transport Jack Palance playing with rats into a 1969 British film. I'll tell you this, because I wanted to see maybe what Jack Palance was doing at that time, knowing he was older than dirt. Um, he was, <laughs> in, in 69, he had he had done several movies in 60. He was in Desperados, A Bullet from Rommel, uh, Marquise de Sade's Justine, uh, Che, he was Fidel Castro. So he actually played what? Fidel Castro at one point. <laughs> Um, in a little movie called Battle of the Commandos. God, so I, so I he was around. I will hate you forever. What? Yeah, I will hate you forever for making us do a 1969 movie, but it's valuable because it, it lends us the opportunity to learn what Jack Palance was doing around this time. Yeah, he, he would have been available. Oh my God, he did like brown face. I'm looking at the pictures. Oh, oh, he's got a yeah. fake nose on. It's, oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. I'm, I'm surprised that hasn't been scrubbed from the internet. Oh, wow. I would love to know it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yep. All right. So, I mean, character actor. He clearly could have, uh, <laughs> he, he was around. He could have done it for us. I wish he would have. That is insane. All right. So what else you got on the uh, the wrap up trilogy here? I mean, not much. It, you know, we we look at the, the three movies. I don't think any of the good thing was none of them were terrible. I know you hate old movies. I think all of them had there. There's a reason to watch all of them. Um, you know, by far, no sudden move is the best I honestly don't know if we would find people think that is the most entertaining, which, you know, we'll we'll jump into you know, our, our Rotten Tomatoes segment here in a second after you get a a chance to do your wrap up with the three of them. But I mean, I, I think, you know, again, No Sudden Move just comes to show how far like cinema has come and, you know, where we're at right now. I, I hope that, you know, we can go back and look at that movie in 20 years and see again where it's we continue to see the constant evolution of film. But you look back at 89 and just how batshit crazy. I mean, that was, to me, I will probably always say that Tango and Cash is the quintessential 80s movie. Like, it was the perfect movie to wrap up that era of just that style of movie, I guess. Like, you know, just the testosterone-injected crazy movie. And then the Italian jump, knowing, again, it is a cult classic. I mean, it just goes to show how innocent the humor was back then because again there was a lot of the jokes were like i could tell that this was a joke that people would have chuckled or laughed at at the time and i'm like it's just even comedy has come so far and even if you were going to deliver this you have the same jokes how they would be delivered differently today um but yeah i i, I think they all had had a place in the trilogy and there, there was a reason to watch all of them yeah, hundred percent. I, you mentioned that no sudden move, you know, being the most entertaining of the trio. I, I don't hundred percent know if that's the case. At least for me, I guess I almost appreciate being able to see movies from 
I'm sorry, go ahead. I was say, the most entertaining was Tango and Cash because it's batshit crazy. But I think the best movie, like in terms of quality, I mean, was clearly No Sudden Move. Was like it is. Ag- yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I think no doubt that No Sudden Move is the best movie. But I, I guess I should reframe what I'm saying. If I'm going to rewatch any of these movies, I honestly think it might be Tango and Cash. Like, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate No Sudden Move. Steven Soderbergh, you know, fisheye lens aside, because that was a terrible decision. And I can't, I talked about it in the review, I can't tell you how many notches that takes the movie down for me. And and maybe that's that's why I'm saying this, but if tomorrow I had to watch a movie from this trilogy again, it would be Tank on Cash. Mm -hmm. Like, for all that I can appreciate about No Sudden Move, it's interesting to me how one gimmick can really taint a movie i I don't know how much you touched on in the initial review but it it takes uh no sudden move down several pegs for me because i can't watch it without thinking about the way it's shot yeah no it is it is awful with the uh the fisheye lens yeah and i just I, i again i i will never understand the reasoning for that uh, if Steven Soderbergh does like a podcast or a YouTube clip where he explains that and it makes sense, maybe I can reevaluate this movie. But as it stands, I I'll take Tango and Cash. So that is an excellent transition into I don't know if I've even named this segment yet. Uh, reviewers or critics versus reviewers or whatever. We'll figure it out. So what we're going to okay. do here. Travis, we have our three movies. No Sudden Move, Tango and Cash, The Italian Job, 1969 edition. I want you to tell me, in order, what you think has the highest rating on Rotten Tomatoes down to what has the lowest rating from critics. Okay. Bonus points uh, I I- Bonus points if you can be within five of the rating. Oh, okay. You want me to give the rating as well? I mean, just um, that, that, I, let's get some bonus points in here. Yeah, let's let's throw some spice in there. Uh, yeah, give hmm. me the order first, and then we'll go through numbers because that'll be a little easier. Uh, no sudden move. Italian job. Tango and cash. All right, you are correct. No sudden move. What do you think it is hovering at on Rotten Tomatoes right now? Oh, I'm gonna say. 86%. You're in, you're in the five. It's 90. Oh, okay. A little bit. And you know what? That, that I almost expected it to be a little bit higher just for mm. generosity's sake. It's a Steven Soderbergh movie. Okay. What do you um, think so, the Italian job is at? 1969. This was a little tougher because I have to weigh in historical reviews when it was new and then retrospective reviews. I'm going to say 72%. You're off on that one. 83. 83. Higher than I expected. 83 from the critics and then Tango and Cash. Woo. I'm going to go ahead and take it down a little bit further. I'm going to say 41%. 30. (laughs) Critics do not like Tango and Cash. All right, so now let's flip it to the other side. We're going to go audience scores. Where do you think the audience rated these? I'm going to say the same order. You would be wrong. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay, then Italian Job is number one? Italian Job is number one. Yeah, that's nostalgia. Uh, I'll say the Italian Job, audience score... Let's say 86%. 85. Okay. You were damn okay. close. No sudden I'm move. I'm not looking these up. No sudden move. Came in at second. See, I think, here's the thing. I think that enough people audience score-wise would be annoyed. It's a little, it's a little bit difficult because this was not a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to say 71%. 
61 percent damn it got damn it got dinged hard i'm gonna guess a lot of it is that camera honestly because i can't imagine what people would dislike about the movie aside from that fish islands is just nauseating i mean there were again we talked about it there were times where it was i legitimately felt sick yeah yeah all right yeah i i think that has to be the reason why um so that leaves us with Tango and Cash. On Tango the and Crash, score. the audience score. I, mm. See, I don't understand audiences here because I think this should be a high number because I think if you see Stallone trying to play a stockbroker, you should immediately have an idea of what you're watching. So if you if you rated this low, that's on you. I'm going to... So- Let's say 57 percent. 52. Okay. Yeah. See, that's just just over half or just under half of people. I I don't know what you were thinking. It's Stallone and and Kurt Russell compared to Stallone is a little bit more of an academic, but not not by much. I, I don't. I don't get what. What did you expect seeing Tango and Cash? I guess is my my review of their review. Yeah, it is. Tango and Cash is definitely one of those like the the what you know section of Rotten Tomatoes is brutally violent, punishingly dull. The cookie cutter buddy cop thriller <laughs> isn't even fun enough to reach so bad it's good status. And I'm like, I disagree with most of what you said. I don't know if I would say if it's brutally violent, especially for the 80s. I don't know if I'd say it's punishingly dull because it is fucking batshit crazy the entire time you're Terry watching Hatcher's it. Terry Hatcher's playing fucking drums in a strip club without getting naked, and there's a fucking assault Geo Metro van. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cookie Cutter Buddy Cop, I would say that's not right either because, again, they try and make it look like they're, they're you know, two you know opposite ends of the spectrum like no they're two sides of the same fucking coin like they're just they're the exact same fucking person um and then uh so bad it didn't even reach so bad it's good i disagree i think it is so bad it's wonderful um so yeah i disagree with just about everything that critic said Hmm. yeah i uh, it, it's it's incredible to think that tango and cash may age the best of these three movies <laughs> I, I know it's early on uh, no sudden move, but we'll see. Uh, again, it's sudden. I feel like no sudden move falls into that. You know, I love most of what uh, what is it? Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. 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 Um, does uh, his crime uh, capers and stuff like that. It is just one of those. The, the fisheye lens feels very much like one of those. Someone just decided they were going to be an artsy prick. And it's like, what did that add to the movie? I just what I want to know. What did that add to the movie? Because to me, it took a lot away. Yeah, and ultimately, Steven Soderbergh knows more about filmmaking than than either one of us will ever remember or forget. But yeah, it just seems tacked on. It just seems pretentious. And ultimately, I think this trilogy, especially with the, you know the Italian Job and Tango and Cash. They're just fun movies, whereas I think No Sudden Move, because it's Soderbergh, he he aspires to put an extra layer that doesn't necessarily need to be there. Mm-hmm. So, like, the evolution of cinema, this movie should have been uh, No Sudden Move. It should have been an extension of the two other movies, you know, a little bit fun, a little bit more refined filmmaking. But ultimately, like I said in the original review, it was just – it was overstuffed. Mm-hmm. It's almost funny looking at the three of them in that vein, as you were saying, because you have, I feel like No Sudden Move was a little too serious, a little too artsy. Um, you had <laughs> Tango and Cash, which was too off the wall, but like also trying to take itself too too seriously, you know? It was it fell into, it didn't realize what it was, and it was trying to take itself seriously and became a joke. Yes. And then you have the Italian job where I feel didn't take itself serious enough and actually could have been something good. Yeah, actually, I think that's a perfect way. Yeah, a perfect way to break it down. And and all are enjoyable, but you 
are always looking for a little bit of extra, Mm -hmm. whether it be, you know, Tango and Cash taking itself a little more seriously in terms of plot or Italian job. Let's try to make some sort of tie in to characters and no sudden move like we don't necessarily have to make it that fucking complicated. So, yeah, I, I guess that's a great way to put it. All three movies are just a little bit lesser than they could have been. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's fair. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, I mean, I think... So, yeah, I don't think that's the way we thought we would tie these three movies together, but they tied together. Yeah. That's the beauty of cinema. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that about does it for me in terms of, you know, looking at the at these three... Um, I think you said it perfectly. If there's if there's one I'm gonna go back and watch, it's probably gonna be Tango and Cash. And if there's one, if somebody were to come to me and say they pick out all three of those movies and say, "Oh, we've only got time to watch one. What should we watch?" I think it's almost always gonna be Tango and Cash for me. Like if we only have time to watch one, I think it's and maybe that's the best way to start wrapping these things up. Is you're 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 given the option to watch one of three. What what do you go back and watch? And I, I'm probably going to say Tango and Cash. I mean, the pe- people I like to hang around are going to enjoy watching, like just making fun of that movie as you watch it because it is so bonkers. Yeah, I don't think it, it will necessarily be as easy always to pick mm-hmm. out which one you would watch. But in this case, it is because I, I don't think any of these are great movies. So if you're not going to watch a great movie, watch some something that will entertain you. Uh, there will be a conversation piece between the people that you watched it with, because I think that's underrated. I think if you watch a movie, even if it's not good, it, it's beneficial to be able to have a conversational movie after you leave it with the people that you watched it with. So if you're looking for that, I think Tango and Cash may surprise you and, and beat out those sudden move. I would agree. Uh, that's all for me, amigo. You got anything else? Nope. Just, I hope to see all y'all back for the next trilogy. Which we're keeping a secret, not because we don't know what it is, but because we want to keep you teetering on the edge of a cliff. Bye. Yeah, I didn't have a good line to come back with. You you pretty much nailed that. So, yeah, good job.